joy to the world the lord is come
this evening. Thank you.
that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters. Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm a storm with his hand Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod And when you kiss your little baby you kiss the face of God The blind will see the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the gentlemen. Wasn't that beautiful? Well, I had a senior moment. They started singing their song, and I go, I don't have my glasses on my head. So I had to run to the back to get them, because I'd be in big trouble if I didn't have my glasses. This would be quite an event. Anyway, I want to welcome all of you to our Christmas Eve candlelight and communion service. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Tonight is, uh, is really a very special night indeed. It's a night that we celebrate the arrival of the Christ child, the Messiah, the one who grew up and taught us how to live. He taught us how to love, who saved, who healed, who delivered, and who ultimately died, but three days later rose again so that we could live eternally. And I personally love Christmas Eve. It is, in my opinion, not just the greatest holiday 
that we as Christians celebrate, but it is the greatest event in all of human history because it was the beginning of God's plan, his plan to save mankind from sin, to reconcile us to God the Father. So for those who have experienced salvation through Christ Jesus, this is a night of, of worship. It's a night of celebration, a night of remembrance. It is a holy night indeed. But having said that, I am aware that not everybody celebrates Christmas Eve in, in this way. Not everyone views Christmas in the same light that I do. And I want you to understand if that, if that identifies you or you can relate to that, I understand. You see, as a, as a pastor, I frequently have conversations with people regarding God, what they believe about him. And let me tell you, I've had some pretty eye-opening conversations. I've heard some very erroneous and, and, and some concepts that have been attributed to Jesus and the reason why people choose not to embrace him from those erroneous concepts. A common one, a major one, that uh, is why many people reject faith in Jesus is they think that Christianity has nothing to do with real day-to-day -day life. And I get that. Because though I'm a pastor now, there was a time in my life when I too rejected Jesus. I remember growing up and attending church with people who always wore their best clothes. They always had the biggest smiles. They were always on their best behavior and it seemed that they never ever had a problem in the world. And truthfully, that kind of environment is not conducive to people opening up or sharing about their doubts and their fears and their struggles that they might be going through. And when you add to that just how beautiful we have made Christmas, I'm talking about the, the nativity scenes, the manger scenes that are so perfect with their pristine Mary and Joseph in what appears to be the cleanest stable in all of human history. I mean, even the, the animals in the manger scene are shiny and sparkling. And when you look at all of that, it appears that that first Christmas didn't seem to take place in anything approaching real life. Even the song we sing as children says, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he made. It makes it appear as though baby Jesus didn't do any of the normal things that real babies do like poop and pee and projectile vomit. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that to any one of you here tonight, who are yet to know Jesus, I want to say something to you. When you come here, you often conclude that the church and Christmas and the pastor and even Jesus are not like the real world at all. But my friends, that is one of those erroneous concepts that I was talking about earlier. Because we all know that the real world is often not a very nice place. There is dirt and there is disappointment, and there is death, and it's all a real part of life. So please don't conclude that the church, and especially the nice Christmas story, has no relevance to reality, because nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be more relevant than the story of Christmas. I realize that it is possible to be here in church on Christmas Eve and be surrounded by all this nice, and for you to feel like you're the only one struggling with the whole thing because of what's going on in your life 
or what's going on in the world right now. It's easy to feel like everybody in this place seems to have no trouble at all feeling the joy and that we probably all had our Christmas shopping done two days after Thanksgiving. So if you're feeling like that tonight, I completely understand, but I want to assure you that you're not the only one. I know that there are others that are here who are experiencing uh, great challenges. They're experiencing doubts and fears and about the future. And so I want to apologize to you on behalf of the church because we've done a good job at making the reality of the Christmas story into a sentimental story. We've made it about petty little annoyances like whether the clerk at Walmart says Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. We've managed to make Christmas both sentimental and very small. But Christmas, that first Christmas in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago was neither sentimental nor small. It was nothing less than God breaking in to human history. God became one of us. It's what's referred to as the incarnation, which literally means God became flesh. He became just like one of us. That first Christmas was not about the warm feelings you, you feel standing around the Christmas tree. It's not about all the perfect platitudes that were written in the Christmas cards that you sent out to all your family and friends this year. It wasn't about finding the perfect Christmas gifts for your loved ones. That first Christmas, it was about real life. And I thank God for that. You see, I don't know about you, but when I am really struggling, when I am hurting, when I am grieving, sentiment and sentimentality just doesn't cut it. It may cheer me up for a while, but, but it never lasts. It's only temporary. What we need is something lasting. What we need is to be changed from the inside out. We need something real. We need something radical to challenge the, the real-world realities of death and of disappointment. So this evening, I want to invite you to strip away all of the tinsel that we have piled onto the manger, because underneath it, you will indeed find something that is real. You will indeed find something that is radical. And the truth is, you will even find something that is dangerous. And you may say, dangerous, what is dangerous about Christmas? Well, let me ask you this question. Why else would the words, do not be afraid, pop up over and over in the biblical account of the Christmas story? When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gabriel, when he appeared to Mary, to tell her that she was going to be pregnant with God's child, those were some of his first words. Do not be afraid. Now, I don't think he said that just because it was scary to all of a sudden have an angel appear in front of you. The message that Gabriel had for Mary was absolutely terrifying. You're going to be Jesus' mom. Don't you think that the idea of giving birth to God's son was at least alarming for this young teenage girl, Mary? Not to mention the fear of what her family would say when suddenly she's pregnant without being married. And then there was the fear about what her fiancé Joseph would say or do. In her culture, she could be stoned to death for her immaculate conception that appeared on the outside. The people that had no understanding of the story was nothing less 
than adultery. You see, for Mary, Christmas was definitely dangerous. And what about Joseph? When Joseph found out Mary was pregnant, he planned to quietly divorce her, the scriptures say. In that culture, couples were betrothed. It is kind of a form of our modern-day engagement, though it was much deeper, much more connecting. And only way to get out of a betrothal was by divorce. But the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, and, and guess what he said? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The idea of being God's stepdad had to be a pretty intimidating thing for Joseph, don't you think? But there, are, there were other things that Joseph had to fear, like public humiliation and ridicule for marrying this woman who was perceived as an adulterous woman. Suspicion that he actually was the father of this illegitimate child. But God asked Joseph to put all that aside. So for Joseph, Christmas was surely dangerous. If not physically, then it was dangerous to his standing in his community and even his standing within his own family. And that phrase, do not be afraid, well, it's heard twice more in the biblical account of Christmas. The angel says it to John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. And then another angel says it to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem. Do not be afraid. And speaking of being afraid, do you know who had the most to fear on that first Christmas? Do you know who Christmas was the most dangerous for? Well, it was God in human skin. It was Jesus. Jesus who lowered himself to become like us, like we were when we were born. God became a baby that needed his diaper changed, who was hungry, who cried, who couldn't walk or talk. He was totally dependent upon his father and his mother for everything, including protection. Jesus who was born in a real animal stall, not like the ones that are portrayed in our nativity scenes. The floor was mud and flies buzzed around everywhere. It stunk like manure, and his bed was a feeding trough. Jesus was born into the real world. And soon his family would have to run away and become undocumented immigrants in Egypt because King Herod wanted to kill them. And after the Holy Family escaped Egypt, King Herod would slaughter all the children of two years of age or younger, all the male children, trying to put an end to this Jesus because King Herod was afraid. He did not want to share his throne. Listen, this is not just a nice little story, the Christmas story. And 33 years later, the Roman authorities would be so terrified of Jesus that they would, to get, to get rid of him, they decided they would put him to death on a cross. So the life of Jesus that begins in the reality of a manger is a real story that happened in a real world. Bad stuff happens in this real world. And it didn't stop, ha stop happening when Jesus was born. And the truth is so many people miss while growing up and seeing all this nice of Christmas while at the same time not being able to, to connect to all that, all that nice to the real world is this. Jesus is a real world savior in the midst of the difficult and challenging realities of this life. 
Don't get me wrong at all. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be nice to each other. That's a good thing. I'm not saying we should never be sentimental about Christmas or about what it means to us. But I am, what I'm trying to say, loud and clear, is let's not lose the reality of this story. Let's not pretty it up and make it just another story, some other kind of a fairy tale, because there is pain and disappointment and death in the real world. And only a real savior, not the perfect, quiet, clean baby in the manger scenes, not the idealized, stunningly good-looking man that many of the paintings of Jesus portray, only a real and a radical and a dangerous Jesus can overcome sin and death. Jesus, who suffered the, the same things that we go through, he got hungry, he got cold, he lost friends to death. At the same time, he also laughed and he had a good time with those who he loved because Jesus was one of us. Think about how radical that is for just a moment. God, infinite in power, our omniscient Lord, contained in skin and bones and muscle and blood, vessels and organs and flesh, just like you and me. And he was as vulnerable as you and I are, especially as a baby. Only the mind of God could come up with something so real, something so radical, and something dangerous. God in a manger. And this is the kind of God we see when we look at Jesus, God in the flesh. Jesus who was born as an oppressed minority in an occupied land. Jesus who was an immigrant. Jesus who surrounded himself with the sick and the poor and the marginalized and the untouchables. Jesus who was criticized by the religious leaders of his day for hanging out with sinners. Jesus who treated women with dignity and respect. Jesus who taught his disciples to love their enemies, to give without expecting anything in return, and to overcome evil with love. Jesus who suffered. Jesus who wept. Jesus who, while hanging there on that Roman cross, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is who Jesus is, ladies and gentlemen. He is real. He is radical. And he endured danger, severe danger, while he was on this earth. He is a God who doesn't care if your Christmas decorations are up or if you got all your, your Christmas shopping list done. He's a God who doesn't care where you came from or what you possess or who you know. But he is a God who loves you unconditionally and who came to fulfill his mission to save you, to have a personal relationship with you. And I confess to you that it took me years of rejecting the church and rejecting God to realize the reality of who Jesus was and is. And so I want to take a moment to speak to those of you who are spiritually where I was some 25 years ago. You might be here this evening because you're making someone in your family happy by being here. You might be here because it's a tradition or because you're curious. You might be here because your boyfriend or your girlfriend brought you here. But no matter what brought you here tonight, let me say to you, I am glad that you're here. And what I'd like to say to you is very, very simple. Please don't dismiss Christmas or Jesus as too nice for this real world. If you've gotten that impression, 
That's our fault. That's not God's fault. Check out what the Bible says about Jesus. Find out what, what he really said, what he really did. Find out who he hung out with and who he challenged. Because that's God there in that manger. He's a God who loves you so much that he did something real and radical and dangerous. He became like you. And he died like you and I will one day die. But then he rose again. All in order to restore God's relationship with you. And through Jesus' work on the cross, when that day comes for you, you too will live in God's presence eternally. All because God loves you. And what he asks of you in return is that you don't do anything to earn that relationship. Because you can't. But instead, simply to realize how real and how radical and yes, how dangerous God's love is for you. Because it will shake up your life. And you will never be the same again. You know, this whole year of 2020 that's about to come to an end has been filled with fear. Unlike anything I have ever seen in my lifetime. It's full of the very things that the angel told us not to do throughout the Christmas story. Do not fear. And you know how to eliminate your fears? You eliminate your fears by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior of your lives. And furthermore, putting your trust for your future in his hands. And that, my friend, is the reason why you're here tonight, because God brought you here. You are here tonight because this is a God-ordained moment. In his great love for you, he has brought you here so that you can find the Prince of Peace, so that you can begin a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Others, he brought you here because you once accepted Jesus' gift of salvation, but at some point, you kind of walked away from your faith. While others, you've slowly distanced yourself from God, meaning the relationship part is missing. You're not living the abundant life that God designed for you. And then there are Christians here tonight who simply need to be reminded of the lengths of what God went to to save you so that within that remembering, you'll enjoy this Christmas in a much greater and deeper way. I cannot think of a better Christmas present for anyone to receive than to begin life anew through a relationship in Christ Jesus, to recommit your life to him. And all this is done through what Jesus freely offers, and that is salvation. It is the acceptance of the person of Jesus as well as the work that he accomplished on the cross. That was his mission. And I want to give everyone in this place tonight an opportunity to make things right between you and God on this very night of nights, the night that we celebrate our Christ's birth. Because every Christmas Eve here at High Point, we jointly take communion together. It is a time when, as Jesus commanded, that we remember that he wasn't just born into this world on that first Christmas, but that baby grew up. And as I said earlier, he healed and he saved and he showed us how to love and he died on that cross for you and for me. It was personal and you've got to understand that. I'd like to ask the musicians to come forward at this time. Tonight we are gonna to take communion together. And when we participate in communion together, 
The Bible offers us specific instruction regarding how we are to approach this very sacred moment. This is not something that we simply do casually out of some kind of a religious tradition, but instead it is something that we participate in with great clarity of the significance of this moment. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 29, it tells us, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Communion is a sacred time for those who believe in Christ and remember his suffering on the cross. But it's not only a sacred moment, it is also a perfect time for anyone who does not yet know Jesus to receive his gift of salvation. Because as the scripture says, in order for us to participate in communion in an unworthy manner, it makes a person guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And when we casually enter into communion without our hearts being right with God, that is exactly what we're doing. And so I want to give everyone in this place an opportunity to make sure that your heart is right with God on this Christmas Eve. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise any hands. I'm not going to ask anybody to walk down to the front of, of this thing. We are just going to have a moment of silent prayer. All you're going to hear is the music playing softly behind me. And for those of you who have not yet received salvation, during this time of quiet prayer, you'll have an opportunity to pray a simple prayer of, of belief and of confession. The belief part is acknowledging that Jesus is the Son of God, and He's the only way to God the Father. The confession part is simply expressing that to God in prayer, asking Him to be the Lord of your life, to forgive you of your sin. And he will do that. The Bible says that he, he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And for the rest of us, this is a time for us too to confess our sin. Are you harboring bitterness? Are you harboring unforgiveness towards a family member or someone who's close to you? Well, now is the time to ask the Lord to forgive you of that. And then leave here with the willingness to go and to forgive that individual, make things right with them. And during this, this time, of silent prayer together, we, when we are transparent before God and seek to clear up any of the issues, any of the burdens that we're carrying, then everyone in this place will be able to participate in this time of communion in a God-honoring and a worthy way, which is what we want to do. So let's take a few moments and let's connect with God and let's open our hearts to Him before we participate and communion together. Let's just have a moment of silent prayer.
Father, you've heard our prayers. Furthermore, you've read our hearts. Cleanse us, Lord, our sin, our unrighteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you arrived, you should have received communion emblems. If you did not receive one and you would not to participate in communion, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll have someone bring you one. We have some, these are a little different than the ones we use, so let me give you some instruction, otherwise you're going to end up in trouble. On the bottom of the communion cup is a tab that you pull to receive the, the bread. If you pull the top, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> so pull the bottom tab, you can receive the bread. If you pull the top, you'll be able to get to the juice. It was during Passover, on the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, where he had his last supper with his disciples. And after he had given thanks, he broke the bread and he said, he said, this bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. And I'm not even certain the disciples knew exactly what that meant, but he knew within hours he would be on that cross and his body would be broken. And he said, every time you do this from henceforth, I want you to do this and remember me. So as you eat of this bread tonight, be reminded of the bruised and the battered body that was sacrificed for you. You may eat of the bread. In the same manner, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so as you drink this juice, may you be reminded of the precious blood that poured out of the body of the sinless Son of God for the redemption of your sin and of mine. You may drink the juice. As we sit here tonight in almost complete darkness, I want you to understand that this represents our world, a world that sits in darkness because it has rejected the very one who brings light. Jesus is the light of the world, and he came to share his love and his light to all creation. He shares his light in the darkness of our world by, as the song says, by bringing goodness and light. And these candles surrounding me, they, they represent that light. You and I also represent that light. You see, as we dedicate our lives to Jesus, we become a beacon of light to a dark world that desperately is in need of the hope of what Jesus Christ offers. Jesus started with 12 men. They were his disciples. They were those who were the closest to him. They walked and they talked with Jesus. They learned every step along the way. They saw the miracles. They, they experienced all the wonder. They knew that Jesus was 
who he said he was. And then after he ascended to heaven, it was those faithful ones who continued in his absence. And they established the early New Testament church. And they faced persecution. And all but one of them was martyred for the cause of Christ. But they paved the way for you and I to be here in the 21st century to serve the Christ of Christmas and to fulfill his purposes in our lives. And now we carry that light of Christ within us and we are commanded to share it with others. I'd like to ask all of you who are able to please stand to your feet. I've asked 12 people to come forward to begin this candle lighting ceremony. They represent those who closely follow Jesus and you represent his church. They will light the candles of those of you on the end of the aisle and you can just turn to the person next to you and light their candle. And I'd like you to keep your candles lit. We are going to sing Silent Night together and then we will blow them out when we're done.
from ourselves, from our sin, plan to give us new life, a life of purpose, a life that never ends because you've promised us eternal life in the presence of God when our time on this earth is done, and we thank you for that. Thank you for the manger. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection, and thank you for new life in Christ Jesus. We praise you. We honor you. We give you all glory tonight. Thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness. As we go our separate ways, Lord, I pray that you'll be with us and our families as we rejoice and as we celebrate this most special night of all, the birth of our Savior. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me blow your candle out. I want to thank all of you for being here tonight. From my family to your family, we wish you a very Merry Christmas. We pray that you will be overwhelmed by the presence of God as you celebrate the birth of Christ, our Lord and Savior. I ask that you please take your candles and your communion emblems with you as you go out. We have trash receptacles out there. The little handle of your candle, the little white thing, we reuse those year after year, so we don't want to throw those away. We'll put those in a separate bin. But if you take care of that for us, I'd greatly appreciate it. Also, if you'd like one of these poinsettias up here on stage, feel free to come and take it and take it home with you. Again, I want to thank you all for being with us this evening. We wish you a Merry Christmas, and may God bless you, everyone.